Well, last week we began a new series called Questions and Answers. And we began that series really uh, by starting with uh, three questions about the Bible. And so we looked at what is the Bible? Is the Bible reliable? And is the Bible true? And we, we started with those questions because that, that first week is kind of foundational for the rest of the time in the series. And we're going to be this series for a long, long time. And uh, because every question we answer is going to be from the Bible. So if you missed last week, it's not too late. You can go onto the website, www.fbcelgin.org. Go into our media section. You can download the sermon or you can stream it. Uh, yes, you can even stream it on your iPhone. It's that amazing. So uh, you can do those things. We want to encourage you uh, to get caught up because it's going to be really, really important. So we began by talking about what the Bible is, and that really led to uh, some of the next great questions uh, that we might have about God. And I want you to know that this series has two purposes. One, it's to answer your questions. And you can submit those, and you can put them in the offering plate, and we're going to have a lot of time to do that. The second thing is it's to answer, um, really, because a lot of your questions fall in this category, what are the greatest questions that Christians have? What are the basic things that we need answers to in the faith? And so uh, that's where we're going to go this week. And, and whereas we answered three questions last week, and it was awesome, you do three questions in one setting, uh, this week we're just going to do part of one question. And it's going to take a few weeks because here's the question that uh, we're going to try to tackle, and it is a doozy. Ready? What is God like? What is God like? And it's a huge question because it's a huge subject matter, right? God is massive and, and, and huge, and, and so it's going to take us some time. And so we're going to spend a few weeks on this one question. And, and you may say, Pastor, that seems like a lot of time for one question, but I need you to understand this, folks. Uh, our purpose is really twofold here on this earth. Number one, it is to know God. Number two, it is to make God known. If half of our existence uh, is about knowing God, I think we should spend a little bit of time trying to figure out what he's like. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a good little amount of time um, studying this question. God, what do you like? And, and, uh, and I pray that as you learn what God is like, that you will go and share what you learn with others. Because after all, that is what we're created for, to know God and to make him known. So we're going to jump in with both feet. Are you ready? Sink or swim. Okay, stretch out that hand. Get it going. Here we go. Uh, lots of stuff for you. Now, just if, in case you're wondering, I told Alan how many slides I had this morning. Don't get freaked out. We go through them pretty quick. But there's like 16, okay? I'm usually an eight kind of slide guy, and we had the Lord's Supper. But we're going to fit it all in. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, five things I'm going to attempt to share with you this morning. Five. What is God like? Five things. Number one. I want you to know first and foremost this morning that according to Scripture, God exists. We've got to start there, right? Let, let's read together the very first verse in the Bible. The very first verse, because it says a lot about God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the God created the heavens and the earth. Now, guys, according to Scripture, the existence of God is a matter of fact. It's just a matter of fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no explanation of where God came from. There's no explanation of who he is. There's no explanation of why he's creating this. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he made everything that we see and everything that we don't see. Yep, it was God. It's just a matter of fact. And that's what happens when you read scripture is God is God. He is there. He's always existed. And there you deal with it. It's just a matter of fact. There is a God. And so we have to begin as we ask this question, what is God like? By saying, well, for starters, God's real. He really does exist. Yes, Virginia, God exists. You remember that one? That's an old one. See, I got an old soul. 
Yes, Virginia, there is. Okay, okay, in case you're wondering. God really does exist. And so we have to start there with the existence of God. And as we do, I want you to know that we're agreeing with all of creation, according to Psalm 19. I want you to know that as we we say that God exists, that we're agreeing with, with, with the godless and the wicked people, uh, according to Romans 1, that we're even agreeing with the, the, the demons, uh, even though that God exists, James 2. So we're standing in agreement with all those things, with all those people. We're saying God exists. And you want to know what God is like, you've got to start there. He really exists. He is real. And once you build on to that, then, then not only you find out as God does God exist, but you also find out as you study Scripture that He's knowable. Not only does God exist, but He's knowable. Last week we began talking about the Word of God, and one of the terms we used when describing the Bible was, was, was we said it was revelatory. It was revelatory. Now, what does that mean? It, it means that it's a book of revelation. It's a book of revelation. So I want to share with you some definitions about revelation. Okay, uh, God is knowable. And, and this is this is how we know God. It's through revelation. This is what revelation is. In its simplest form, this is revelation. Okay, in its simplest form, it is the unveiling, the uncovering, or the disclosure of something that was previously hidden. That's what revelation is. It, it, it's the unveiling or the uncovering, or the disclosure, you can use whatever three of those words you like best, okay? Pick one if you want, of something that was previously hidden. Now, as it has to do with God, this is what it means, okay? Uh, it, specifically, as it has to do with God, it's the disclosure of the character and the purpose of God. That's what revelation is. When we say that the Bible is revelatory, we mean that the Bible discloses the character and the purpose of God as you read it. And not only that, those that receive it, you should know, by the way, those that receive the revelation of God are radically changed by their reception. Right? There's nobody in the Bible that receives a revelation from God and then just stands there like, oh, hum, okay. Like, it doesn't happen. When somebody receives a revelation from God, they're floored. Their life is radically altered. They're completely changed. That should say something to us today. Reading the Bible shouldn't just be about going through motions, right? So that's what, that's what revelation is. That's what revelation is. And you also need to know that... that uh, let's, let's, let me give you an illustration, okay? Let's give you an illustration. It, it's kind of like the threshold of a home. Okay? It's kind of what Revelation is like. It's kind of like the threshold of a home. Any romantic men carry their bride over the threshold? Anybody? We had some in the early service. We got, we got a few. Did anybody bump their head on the door as they went through? Kind of ruins the moment, right? Ah! Did anybody make a sound when they, when they picked them up? Like, oh my gosh, you didn't do that, did you? That's not the right thing to do in that moment. Um, okay, so thresholds are kind of a big deal. Anybody have to do the fireman's carry and throw them over the shoulder? Was that... Just just messing with you. I, don't share those details, brother. Don't say that's that's not you're in a bad camp now. Uh, listen, so the threshold of a home. Think about this with me. If you're going to buy a house and you go out with a realtor and you look at a house, there's only so much that you can see about a house from the outside. Right. So you kind of look at it, you go, oh, that's a beautiful home. Look at the woodworking there. Look at the windows. Oh, it's so gorgeous. You know what? It looks to be very well constructed. You might be able to peek underneath. Oh, it's pier and beam. I can tell that. That's awesome, right? You might be able to say, oh, look, I can tell it's got a chimney. We can see right up there. That's got a, a chimney on it. You, you can look, say, oh, I can tell the roof is pretty new. It's not patched. It looks pretty new. I bet that roof is within, you know, probably, probably put on three, five years ago tops. And you can see all these things from the outside. But let me ask you, are you going to buy that house if that's all you get to see? 
Well, no, because you, you want to know if there's shag carpet throughout the whole thing. All right. And it's only when you walk through the threshold and the door is open that suddenly you see all that that inner beauty and majesty that you were hoping was there. And the door flies open and it's got the wood floors. Right. And it's got the open floor plan and the, and the redesigned kitchen and, and all the stuff is there. And you go, oh, my gosh, this house is beautiful. I think we should buy it. And the husband says, ah, you're going to have to go get a second job. It's only when you go over the threshold. Guys, follow me. Revelation is kind of that way. Revelation is kind of that way. And let me explain, because there's two types of revelation. Number one, there's what we call general revelation. Okay, general revelation. And general revelation is revelation for all people. Okay, don't have to be a believer, don't have to be a Christian, I mean, don't have to speak English. Revelation for all people everywhere, it's called general revelation. And this is what scripture says, Psalm 19, 1 through 3, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Get this, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Saying God is evident to all people of every tribe, of every tongue, that the majesty of God is evident to all people. Okay, let me read you another one. Romans 1. Romans 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. Romans 1, starting in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, what are those verses saying? Saying, listen, All men of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue is without excuse because there are there's evidence that God exists. Okay, that the skies are proclaiming God exists. The way that the universe is held together is proclaiming there's something bigger than just you and me. There's somebody bigger that designed all this and is holding all this together, that is making all this work. This wasn't a cosmic accident. That's what the Bible says. That's called general revelation. It's available to all people. Now, the second kind of revelation is what we would call specific revelation. Specific revelation. And it's not complicated. Specific revelation is when God speaks to a specific person for a specific purpose. Okay, God shows up and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And he says, well, who am I? And we have this conversation, right? It's very specific. God shows up to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I want you to write this down. I want you to go to my people. I want you to say this. Very specific, okay? It's called specific revelation. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible is, is really specific revelation. That's what it is. Uh, and, 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 and let me, if you're, an, if you're a person that needs to see things, let me, let me show you this little chart. This is kind of how it works, okay? How these things work together. Okay, so I like I like charts and graphs. All right. So that inner part, that's the revealed word of God. This is like the moment it's happening. Okay, Uh, the the center circle, also Jesus. All right. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He's God in the flesh. Okay, so that that works there, too. But you think about the moment that God reveals himself to a prophet or anybody that moment. Okay, that happens. Now, once that happens, then that's written down. 
Okay, that's what we have in the Bible, by the way, is the written revelation of God. God is disclosing himself. It's written down for us, so we have a record. And then finally, the third way that, that we get this is, is through the proclaimed revelation of God. And, and that, that's hopefully we're in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church where they, they take the word of God, not man's opinion, and they, they proclaim that word of God, right? That's, what we, that's where we want to be. And so those are, those are the three forms that that happens in, okay? One last thing I want to share with you about Revelation. I know we're camping out here a little bit. I want you to know that the fact that God is knowable does not mean that we can know everything about him. This is down on your notes at the bottom. You're just kind of filling in some blanks here. So you have to understand this about the revelation of God. God's revealed all that he wanted to reveal. He's revealed all that he needed to reveal for us to find him. God doesn't reveal everything about himself. He just doesn't. And so the, the, the fact... That God is knowable doesn't mean that we can know everything about him. And this drives some people nuts because they have all these little tiny questions. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, no, you're not. You're going to fall on your face before him. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to ask him some inky dinky question that drove you nuts here. You're going to fall on your face and worship him and go, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have gotten in. So stop all the ridiculous questions. You said, Pastor, we're doing a whole series on questions and answers. That's why I haven't answered yours yet. I love you. Just joking. Joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. God's noble, but we can't know everything. By the way, most of you have asked pretty good questions. Okay, keep them coming. Keep them coming. But we can't know everything. Listen to what David says. David, the man after God's own heart. Listen to what he says. Psalm 145, verse 3. David writes, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. This is the man after God's own heart says there are things about God I cannot fathom. He is too great for me. Again, man after God's own heart, Psalm 139, verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Wow. The man after God's own heart couldn't even, couldn't even attain this loftiness of God. It's what God explained to, to Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. You see, David and Isaiah learned the same thing that Moses learned. You remember Moses and the burning bush? Moses is there and, and God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And Moses has two questions. <laughs> Number one, who am I? Who am I that you should send me? And God says, listen, you're going. Second question, he says, but who are you, God? Who do I tell them you are? And remember, in that moment, God reveals himself to Moses. But I want you to see that when God reveals himself, it doesn't mean that you know everything. Because God's answer to Moses wasn't something that Moses would like. He says, I am who I am. Okay. See, silence, just like that. That's what happened. That's what happened. Most, but God, who are, who are you? Who would I tell you? I am who I am. You go tell them I am sent you. God reveals his name, but it wasn't a full disclosure, right? It wasn't a full disclosure. <clears throat> God is knowable, but he can never be fully known. And here's this last part, okay? And then we're, we're, we're going to move on. Here's the cool thing. I love this. While we can never have all the answers, while we can never know God fully, we can know God personally. This is awesome. 
While we can never know God fully, while we can never know every minute answer, we can know God personally. John 17, 3, Jesus is praying. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. John 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. You can know the Father personally through Jesus Christ. That's awesome. You may never know him completely, but you can know him personally. Number three, you want to know what God is like. You need to understand that God is independent. God is independent. We just kind of sang about this. You know that God does not need you. I don't want to offend you. I say that in love. God doesn't need me either. God doesn't need us. He loves us, but he's not dependent upon us. Acts chapter 17, 24 and 25. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not uh, served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Please hear me in love. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't owe you. You don't have any claim on God. Okay, you can't throw a little tissy and say, but God, I want answers. You, you, you don't get any. You, like, you can't make a claim against God. That's that's not how God works. God's just above all that. We don't have any rights before him. But 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 hear me. Even though God doesn't need us. We desperately need him. We desperately need him. And and here's the beauty, because he's good, and we'll cover that later. This independent God who needs no one, because he's good, he he invites us to be a part of this redemptive story that he's writing, right? If you study Revelation chapter 21, God is going to say there, behold, I make all things new. And God is in that process of recreating, of making everything new. And here's the beauty. While God doesn't need us, he loves us and he pursues us and he invites us into this story of recreation where we get to become new as well. And we get to be made new from the inside out, like the caterpillar that's transformed in the butterfly. God is in the process of transforming us into the beauty of his son that's what's going on right now and we get to be a part of that we get to be a part of that god's independent but he invites us into his story it's pretty awesome number four what is god like well he's unchangeable he's unchangeable now i'm going to challenge a little bit of your definition of what you think unchangeable is because some of you have heard this definition of the unchangeable God and then you read scripture and it, you feel like it clashes together. There's no clash in God's unchangeable nature. But we're going to explain that this morning. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, these verses led early theologians to coin a term for God called immutable. They said God is immutable. God, and that, that word literally means that, that um, unchanging over time or unable to change. So they said God is unable to change. He, he doesn't change over time. Um, there's only one problem with that. When we start coining terms and kind of putting God in, into that, 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 that box, that's a man-made box. And, and, and the problem with that is, is if we say that God is completely immutable, that he absolutely cannot ever change, then what do we do with the scripture like Isaiah 43, 19, where God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. How does God do a new thing if God can't change? We start running into those things. 
What do we do with lamentations when it says his mercies are new every morning? I need you to see this. An absolutely immutable God, an utterly changeless God would not be the living triune God of Scripture that we have studied. That'd be a dead God. So here's what we mean. Is God unchangeable? Absolutely. But what does that mean when we say that God is unchangeable? Here it is. Ready? It means that God is unchangeable in his being. He's unchangeable in his character. He is unchangeable in his purposes. And he is unchangeable in his promises. When God says, do not be afraid for I am with you, you can take it to the bank. Right? You can take it to the bank. When you read that God is in the process of making all things new and that he is, he is reconciling the world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Brother, that is his purpose. You can take it to the bank. It's not going to change. He doesn't have another purpose. That is his purpose. Reconciling sinners to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. He's renewing all things through his son, Jesus. That's what's going on. That's where we are right now. Now, here's the deal. In the midst of that, God's faithful, changeless love is manifested in ever-changing, creative, and surprising ways. You tell me that anybody saw the cross coming. Anybody. Anybody see the cross coming, that that was going to be God's solution? Of course not. An all-creative, all-knowing, wonderful God came up with a solution that none of us could figure out. And, and you've got to hear this today, because when you think that God is unchanging, and, and He is, you need to understand He may be unchanging, but He's unchanging in His character and His purpose and His promises, because you may be stuck and think, there's no way I can get out of this rut. And God says, brother, I, it's a new day. This unchanging God is ever creative and ever present and is always doing new things in line with his purpose, in line with his character, in line with his nature, which is good news for you and me. It's good news for you and me. God's not dead. God's not dead. He's fully alive. Okay? Number five, I think we're going to get there. Woo! God is eternal. God is eternal. There has never been a time when God was not. There has never been a time when God was not. And there will never be a time when God will not be. Ever. And here's the thing. We think about eternal. We just think about from a long way ago to, to a long way. Yeah, but God exists in all of that all at the same time. He sees, he sees a million years ago just like it was yesterday. He sees, I mean, God is present in all of it at the same time, knowing he's not having to reach back into memory. He's present there and he's present here and he's present in tomorrow. That's who God is. God is absolutely eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 1.8 it's about the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is eternal. He sees and knows all your past, present and future. And he rules over it all, using it for his glory. And that's a big deal because that means that that past mistake in that past life. You thought God couldn't do anything with God was there. It means that future failure when you fall down and you're hurt and you don't think you can get back up. Guess what? It means that God reigns over that too and he's going to use that for his glory just like he used your past for his glory. Isn't that good? 
My God's not stuck in time. He's not stuck on a day. He eternally works for the good of those that love him. Eternally, always, consistently, never ceasing. Nothing you can do that he can't turn around and use for his good. It's a good God. It's a good God. Now, what is God like? That's a taste. It's just a taste. Okay? If you join us over the next several weeks, we'll continue to delve into this subject. But this morning, there's one last thing I want to share with you. What do you do with this stuff? As you start taking this stuff in, what, what, do, you, what do you do with this? Okay, I've just got one thing. Ready? Get to know it. Here's your challenge this week and over the next several weeks. Get to know him. Right? Do you remember the graph? The concentric circles? Okay, I'm going to start from the outside. I'm going to start from the proclaimed word of God. Let's start with this. Get to know him. What's a great way to do that? Be in church on a regular basis. Okay? I'm just going to tell you that the proclaimed word of God is a great gift from God. It's not a great gift from your pastor. You've got to sit and struggle under it. But, but from, the word, from God, it's a great gift. And so the more often we're in church, the more we have the word of God explained to us. Has that ever happened for you? I don't know about you. I, when I started going to church, I was about 20, and, and a pastor would get up and preach. All of a sudden, it kind of made stuff make sense that didn't really make sense to me. You following me? And that's what pastors do. They try to pour themselves into making the word of God make sense for you. All right. So so be a part of the proclaimed word of God. And it doesn't just have to be on Sunday. You can listen to it during the week. Uh, you know, you can go onto our website. You can you can go listen to other pastors. If you're looking for good pastors, come let us know. We'll tell you some people that you can uh, should listen to and maybe should not listen to. Um, there's a few of those out there, too. So expose yourself on a regular basis to the proclaimed word of God. Next, what do you do? You get in the word of God yourself. Get in the written word of God. Right. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, I, I encourage our small group this last Sunday, two things every week. OK, number one, devotion time every day. What is a devotion? It, it, it varies for for everybody. But but, you know, my devotion typically is, I don't know, 20 minutes ish somewhere. Coffee and interruptions included. Um, and, and, and it's just to help me be focused for the day. That's devotion. OK, so every day devotion. Now, at least once a week study at least what is study? It's totally different from devotion. Study can be an hour, okay? That, that kind of block of time. And that's where you're either reading through a book, you're, you're, you're looking for, for a, a character trait of God, you're, you're studying love, or you're studying mercy, and you're using your concordance, and you're looking up every verse, and you're spending a, a bigger block of time, okay? That's, it's the written word of God. It's the revelation of God. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing devotion every day, a little bit, and now I'm also working in some study time. You said, Pastor, once a week, I, I, I think I could do that. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I'm already doing four days. Well, praise God for you. That's awesome. Keep it up. Okay. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. And then finally, what's that inner circle? It's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. What do you do? Spend time with Jesus. Talk to him. Pray to him. Walk with him. Right? You follow me? I mean, everywhere you go, just just spend time, immerse yourself in Christ. And this is what I promise you. I promise you that you won't regret it at the end of the week. I promise you that you won't regret it. The more time we spend getting to know him, the more we have to share about him. We exist to know God and to make God known.